Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. We are finally back together again. Today we are discussing episode 18 of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gongnue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For these podcast episodes, we first do a drama episode recap and then discuss the culture and history portrayed in the episode. If you have any comments or questions, please do reach out to us or check out our Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas and also visit us on our website at ChasingDramas.com. We continue on with the intense drama from the last episode. Yu Guiren, or noble lady Yu, gave birth to a young boy, but right after birth, he is discovered to have had golden pupils, and his entire body is yellow. Noble consort Gao heard the news of the birth and immediately arrived to order that the child be buried alive as once she saw the child, saw the yellow golden pupils, and deemed it as a bad omen for the empire. Yingluo managed to save the child from being buried alive, and we are now in Changchun Palace where the emperor has also come to make a judgment. In attendance is Xianfei as well, but interestingly, Chunfei is not around. Ying Luo suggests seeking medical opinion from a local doctor, one that is not from the imperial palace, to see if there are other medical explanations for why the young prince, the fifth prince at that, would have golden pupils. Xianfei agrees and suggests Ye Tianshi, a famous doctor from the southeast of China. Side note, it's impressive that they're able to get this guy to the palace so quickly, I don't know how they found this guy, but, you know, we're going to ignore that. I mean, it makes sense. Why would you not have an additional opinion for the child, considering that Gao Guifei is literally suggesting to kill a prince? In an instant, this doctor, Ye Tianshi, diagnoses the child easily with jaundice. He experiences pushback from the other imperial doctors who say they have never seen a child with jaundice have golden pupils. But Ye Tianshi, this doctor Ye, says that this is because of illness, not something carried from birth. All that's needed is some medicine and the child will be just fine. Immediately, Gao Guifei jumps in to apologize for acting too rashly, saying that she didn't know it was just jaundice. Pretty sure everyone can see the eye rolls in the room, particularly from Xianfei and Ying Luo. The emperor, to his credit, I guess, said he understood because even the imperial doctors couldn't diagnose the young prince's condition accurately, so how can she be expected to tell the difference? But just as he was about to let her off easily, and you could see the smirk on her face as she was about to get away scot-free, Chunfei arrives. In the hall, Chunfei brings forth the body of a dead man. Gao Guifei hastily denies knowing who this person is when Chunfei asks why Gao Guifei would be scared of the body when she's not scared of killing him. Chunfei reveals to the audience that 
The man in question was the Mongolian chef from the imperial kitchens that specifically cooked food for Yu Guiren during her pregnancy. Ying Luo remembered that Yu Guiren ate at least three of these biang, or flatbreads, from this cook every day. And also with pretty much every meal. The flatbread paired with Yu Guiren's other cravings of sweets are revealed by the doctor Ye Tianshi to be the ultimate reason, or potentially the ultimate reason, for the prince's golden pupils. It is because of Yu Guiren's diet that caused the child to have jaundice. Normally, this wouldn't be a problem, but because Yu Guiren ate too much of the flatbread and sweets, which left her with an imbalanced diet, thus her child suffered. Fei also reveals that she found that this cook seemed to have committed suicide right as she started to investigate the meals for Yu Guiren. But she says that it's not hard to think who is the primary instigator here. The person who is most eager to see the death of the fifth prince. Ying Luo takes this moment to recount all the previous conflicts between Gao Guifei and Yu Guiren, where Gao Guifei tried to harm Yu Guiren. Today, Gao Guifei was the first to burst into the hall or to the palace to try to kill a newly born child. Ying Luo contrasts that to Xian Fei to say, why didn't she ask for any doctors to see if there was some other explanation for the child? No, Gao Guifei just came in and said, yep, we need to bury the child alive. Isn't that way too suspect? And the uh, tactics, in my opinion, are too low, meaning they're just too rudimentary. There are so many better ways Gao Guifei could have handled this, and it's just not very intelligent of her uh, to behave this way in the palace. Mm-hmm. Gao Guifei denies all of this because the body cannot be proof of her connection. Yet, unluckily for her, this chef left a note that plainly states his death was connected to Gao Guifei. At this point, what a turn of events. Gao Guifei can only beg and cry that she was framed, but the emperor has had enough. He orders her to be confined to her palace, not to be released until further notice. With that, everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Ming Yu, this stubborn dolt of a girl, steps forth to tattle on Ying Luo in front of the emperor. Mingyu states to the emperor that Ying Luo gave fake orders on behalf of the empress using the empress's seal in the last episode. This is an unacceptable action and Ying Luo should be punished. But this is quickly revealed by Ying Luo to have been a simple ruse. The box holding the empress's seal was holding just an ink pot, not the actual seal itself, and so the only crime Ying Luo committed was tricking the likes of Gao Guifei with the authority of the empress. The emperor here actually takes Ying Luo's side. Well, he doesn't say that, but he just simply punishes Mingyu to 50 canings instead. Good for him. Thank you. After the last episode and what she just does now, I personally, again, I don't condone any physical violence, but I wanted to shake this girl and say, come on, what are you doing? This is not the time for like petty squabbles. But before the night is over, however, Ying Luo asks for a private audience with Chun Fei. 
I really like this scene because this immediately helps us answer some of the plot holes from the previous scene. Yingluo questions Trinfei whether or not the fifth prince's jaundice could simply and only be related to his mother's eating excessive amounts of sweets and the flatbread. Yingluo points out many plot holes in Gao Guifei's actions. How could Gao Guifei be so sure that Yu Guiyuan would eat so many of these Mongolian chefs' meals? I mean, that was all of Yu Guiyuan's own volition. And how could Gao Guifei be so sure that Yu Guiyuan's child would most definitely be born with golden pupils? And how is it possible that Gao Guifei didn't do a thorough search of the Mongolian chef's belongings after he died? The note that was presented as evidence by Chunfei was way too easy to find and honestly just too crass of a piece of evidence. This plot is really rudimentary and placed too much on chance for the likes of Gao Guifei to enact upon. Chunfei though only smiles serenely and doesn't directly answer as to whether or not she was behind it. Instead, she says that children of the palace are fated to have a rough life. It is what they must endure in exchange for their life of lavishness. Princes in particular must always fight for the title of crown prince and ultimately the throne. So why does it matter that they are involved in such tactics at the beginning of their lives? Ying Luo does not agree or condone uh, Chunfei's beliefs and storms off, only for Chunfei to shout that Ying Luo's kind-heartedness will ultimately get her killed in the palace. The implication here is that Chunfei did something medically to Yu Guiyuan to cause this illness and also to set a trap for Gao Guifei. We see for the first time just how ruthless Chunfei can be by using an unborn child as one of her pawns to get to what she wants, which is to bring down Gao Guifei. The first time I watched this, I didn't really get the scene, so um, it's great that Karen's discussing it and kind of like unraveling the conversation for us. The rest of the episode revolves around the aftermath of this saga. Yu Guiyuan is obviously happy to see that her son is healthy and alive and even more pleased to hear from the Empress that she will be raised to the level of Pin or concubine, which means that she will have control of her own palace of Yonghegong. This is great news for the now Yuping because she is able to raise her son with some more freedom. Meanwhile, Gao Guifei is sulking in her rooms, refusing to eat or speak to anyone. At court, however, Gao Guifei's father, Gao Bin, is presenting his ideas on how to protect against flooding through levies in the empire to the emperor. Qianlong is mightily impressed with Gao Bin's proposal but warns that this will cause an uproar at court due to the high costs and expansive nature of the project. Galbian, to his credit, does not shy away from his responsibility to manage and build the levies. He says that his primary duty is to the empire, and he's not afraid of the backlash, as long as he can provide for the Qing dynasty. This greatly moves the emperor and allows Galbian to see his daughter while she is in confinement. He does visit Gao Guifei, but instead of a heartfelt reunion of the father and daughter, Gao Bin is extremely cold towards his daughter and mocks her for being useless. 
he reminds her that he has other young and beautiful daughters at his disposal, implying that if Galguifei loses her usefulness to him, it doesn't matter. He has other daughters to take her place. This sets Galguifei off, and we, or I actually did, develop a little bit of pity towards her. If there was any way for her father to push her to focus on the emperor again, it was certainly his little speech because immediately after he leaves, she is ready to turn her sights back to the emperor again. After all, she needs his attention in order to remain in power in the palace. One night, the emperor passes by her palace of Chuxiugong and hears Gao Guifei singing. Inside, she is dressed in a splendid outfit, and honestly, it is stunning, and singing Chinese opera. The opera she's performing, I believe, is Gui Fei Zuijiu, or The Drunken Concubine. We'll discuss this a little bit more in the history section. The actress for Gao Guifei actually trained with opera masters to perform this scene, and you can certainly tell, it is quite good. Her singing immediately attracts the attention of the emperor and Gao Guifei, while tipsy, pushes herself into his arms and cries about her misfortune. It turns out that she and her mother were attacked by water bandits while out with her father, who was managing floodwaters as an official. Gao Guifei was only five at the time, but was rescued by local fishermen after floating in the water. Her mother, unfortunately, was not so lucky and only remnants of her body was discovered. Due to the implication of what happened to her mother prior to her death, the Gao family refused to include her mother in their ancestral hall. And within a year, Galbian, clearly not caring for the death of his wife, married Madame Ma and had more children with her to use as pawns. With this heartfelt explanation by Gao Guifei to the emperor, the emperor also lets down his guard and forgives Gao Guifei. The episode ends with the Emperor Ahum spending the night with Gawwefei. It looks like her fortunes are restored after one evening. And that kind of closes the story of Wuaga, or the fifth prince's birth, which means we can turn our attention a little bit to some pop culture. The first topic is, yay, our Wuaga is finally born. This means that he is the fifth prince. Waga, fifth prince. After this episode, I remember everyone posting memes such as, Oh my god, Empress, it's your Waga. In the next life, he's your husband. <laughs> it's because in the Pearl Princess or Huanzhu Gege, San Tianxiangrenjian, the third part of the wildly popular Pearl Princess drama, Qinlan, the actress for the Empress, marries Waga or the fifth prince. Everyone on the internet was also like, see, I knew nothing could happen to this prince because there would be no pearl princess if he died. For those of you who uh, have not checked that out, um, the drama itself is okay, but man, Qin Lan, the actress for our empress, looked absolutely stunning. She was the best part of Pearl Princess 3, even though her character was not great. Uh, yeah, she was... She was one of the first to start, you know, palace tactics and bully uh, the, the main wife. But you can't deny that Tin Lan was a bright spot in that drama just because she was really gorgeous and very, you know, calm, serene, pretty much what you would expect an empress to be like. 
but not. <laughs> the next piece I remember was everyone posting how the emperor is handling all the imperial harem affairs. He is the participant in the palace battles, or gongdo, instead of the empress. I remember everyone saying, like, you know, the empress has more important things to do because she either is A, MIA for these events, or B, she just isn't bothered to resort to all these schemes. The empress is just busy building relationships with other women in the harem, leaving the emperor to do her job or at least, you know, be more involved in these types of squabbles because he seems to like that, <laughs> lording his uh, imperial authority over everyone. And last piece of uh, fun little pop culture. Early in this episode, Xianfei makes a comment to say, oh, the emperor doesn't have that many children right now. We should be really be careful of like what verdicts we give. Everyone was joking because of that comment since the emperor Qianlong had a lot of children. I think it was like 17 sons and 10 daughters. So, I mean, he also lived to be like, over 80. Uh, so this comment tickled quite a couple of us when the drama first came out. Alrighty, I will turn our attention towards history. I'm going to jump briefly back to the Mongolian flatbread that caused the jaundice. So listeners, if you recall, it's Hai Sheng Bao Er Si Ke. I was reading an article saying that this might be a slight bug from the screenwriter because Yu Guiren from history is from the Kuruqin or Horchun tribe of the Mongol bordered blue banner. Growing up, she probably wouldn't have eaten these specific flatbreads, but items that more resembled filled pancakes. So uh, pancakes with the insides of having meat instead. However, this is just a tiny nitpick that I personally cannot verify. I was reading articles and one person um, who traveled around these areas and was doing some research uh, posted that um, this might be a slight bug. Regardless, everything looks really delicious in all the photos of the research that I was doing that I would love to try some. Next, let's focus our attention kind of for the rest of the historical discussion on the Gao family. We'll first start off with Gao Guifei's father, Gao Bin. In the drama, he's a rather cold-hearted man who basically threatened Gao Guifei that if she doesn't figure out a way to regain favor, he'll send his other daughters into the palace. The Gao family were Han Chinese. They were members of the Baoyi class, which were essentially like household people of the Manchu. They were originally from northeast China. During the reign of Emperor Yongzheng, Gao Bin rose to an official of the imperial household department and gained favor. Note that these Baoyi are not, or were not, eunuchs. Gaobian was then sent out of the capital to the southeast parts of China to manage commerce and trade in the provinces. That's where he gained more favor with the emperor and really caught the eye for how well he managed and performed his duties. His daughter, which is of course our current Gao Guifei, was married to the then prince Hongli. Hongli must have definitely favored Gao Guifei uh, back when he was still a prince because 
Shortly after he ascended the throne, in 1735, in 1736, he granted her or gifted her the title of noble concubine or guifei, the first woman to do so under his reign. Due to the favor of Gao Guifei, the whole family was gifted a mansion name of Gao Jia. Now, the father, Gao Bin, was indeed in charge of building levees and dams to manage the river flow and prevent more disasters along the Yellow River, or Huanghe. He was quite successful early in his career and did gain the confidence of Emperor Qianlong. This is the first time that we see him, so I wanted to give some background information on this man. We'll discuss more about the Gao family in future episodes. Lastly, I want to discuss Chinese opera. We got a dazzling rendition of Guifei Zuizio, or The Drunken Concubine, from Gao Guifei at the end of the episode. First, let's do a little introduction on Chinese opera. We discussed some of this in episode 22 of Empresses in the Palace. Chinese opera, or Xiqi, is a form of musical theater dating back thousands of years. It is an amalgamation of various different art forms, including dance, singing, acrobatics, and comedy. The stories used for Chinese opera range from legends to local folklore to history. The style that Gao Guifei is singing is actually called Quin Xu, or Quin Opera. It is a traditional style of Chinese opera that originated in the 14th century near Mount Quin in Suzhou, hence why it is called Quin Xu. This style dominated the opera scene for hundreds of years up until basically the mid-18th century. It is often called the mother of all Chinese opera. The accompaniment is typically a bamboo flute. And as I mentioned earlier, because it's called the mother of all Chinese opera, Quinn opera influenced many other Chinese musical theater styles, including Peking opera. Now, Peking opera, or Jingju, is the most famous right now of Chinese opera. It is also known as the national opera in China. But, of course, there are a variety of different types of Chinese opera from the different regions of China. They include Sichuan opera or Chuan opera, Cantonese opera or Yue opera, etc. Peking opera got its start in the late 18th century during the reign of our current emperor Qianlong in around 1790. Peking opera began when the four great Anhui troops from south-central China came to perform for Emperor Qianlong's 80th birthday party. That type of opera was called Huiju and became extremely popular. The opera form borrowed heavily from many other types of opera, um, including styles of singing, the stories that were told, melodies, etc., but none more so than probably Quin Xu. Now, how does one differentiate the two? I'll be honest, I'm not a Chinese opera master. I love Western opera. I need to learn more about Chinese opera. But uh, I did a little bit of research, so hopefully this differentiation will be clear to you, the listener. 
At first, Quanxu and Jingju might seem quite similar. The differences aren't as striking as, let's say, between Peking Opera or Chuan Opera or Yue Opera. The style of singing is like very different between the three. Style of singing called Beijing Pi Huang. So the style of singing in Jingju is called Beijing Pi Huang. In Quan Opera, when the performer sings, it's more melodic. So there's usually accompanying movement. For Peking Opera, the performer usually stands, and the singing is a little bit more like. Tart. The reason why I bring up both Peking Opera and Quan Opera is because in this drama they combined both to create the performance of Gui Fei Zuijiu. I did not know that, so I appreciate the research done to explain all of this difference. Gui Fei Zuijiu, or the Drunken Concubine, recounts. The story from the love affair between noble consort Yang or Yang Guifei and her relationship to the Tang Dynasty emperor Tang Xuanzong. These events occurred around the mid eighth century A.D. We talked about this pair previously in our episode about Li Qi and many other times in our podcast series. Indeed, Yang Guifei is one of the most famous women in Chinese history, which is why legends or stories are constantly told about her in various forms. The story goes as such: One day, the Emperor Tang Xuanzong informs Yang Guifei that they will have a date together. He wants her to set up a small banquet for the two of them at the Hundred Flower Pavilion to enjoy the flowers and drink wine. The next day, Yang Guifei arrives for the banquet and awaits the emperor, but the emperor does not come. A eunuch comes to inform her that the emperor has instead gone to another concubine's palace. When Yang Guifei hears of this, she drinks wine to drown her sorrows and jealousy. Hence, the story, the drunken concubine. The story of Gui Fei Zuijiu, or drunken concubine, has been around since the early ninth century. Variations of this story has been passed down and performed as plays or operas throughout the centuries. Okay, so here's where we have like a whole Peking opera and Quan opera combination. The Peking opera was only composed and performed in the early twentieth century by the famous. Peking opera and Quan opera performer Mei Lanfang. It has since stayed in the repertoire for the past century. In this drama, Yan Xi Gongyue, the style of singing that Gao Guifei is singing is in the style of Quanxu or Quan opera. It can only be Quanxu because, well, Jingju or Peking opera wasn't invented yet. However, the lines that she sings and the drinking wine from the cup are from the Peking opera Guifei Zuijiu. The accompanying instrument is still with the arhu, which we talked about in the last episode, and the clothing and headdress are more reminiscent of Jingju rather than Quanxu. The whole scene, while lovely to the Chinese opera uninitiated, is a bit jarring to those who are more familiar with the topic. I fall in the former camp. I only found out about these differences after conducting research on the topic for this episode. Still, 
I highly enjoy the performance here, though. Kudos to the actress Tan Zhuo for nailing the scene. I can tell that she put in the work to get this Quinn opera movement and style just right. Or I think it's more of the mix of the Quinn opera with the Peking style opera. I think for this particular piece, Gui Fei Sui Jiao, we do have photos and、um, reprisals of the original choreography. So that's what they used, sort of, to inform this particular performance. So、um, I took a look at some of the photos, and it's quite interesting to see what the actress does、um, for this performance. And I think she does a great job, even though it's very short. Well, that wraps up our episode on the story of Yanxi Palace, episode eighteen. It is going to be much lighter in tone for our next few episodes. I mean, it was very, very intense this episode and last episode. I think we all need a breather. <laughs> no more bearing of babies. If you are looking for sites to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the states, please head on over to our sponsor and check out Jubao TV. That is J U B A O TV. They are a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies with English subtitles to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo or X U M O, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour, as well as Sling TV. Once again, all of this is free with English subtitles. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast episode today. We will catch you in the next episode. Thank、you